to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. I'm Danny Carraher. And it has been a while since we have done a podcast. Uh, we both needed a little bit of a um, break after Oscar season, but we are ready to come back and uh, hit the ground running. We are going to be doing our new Real Marathon Marathon. Uh, last year we did the Wes Anderson Marathon. And this year we, we did a lot of brainstorming. We looked at a lot of different filmmakers uh, to try to come up with a good idea for somebody who, who doesn't have a gigantic catalog, um, but has enough that uh, we, we have something to, to talk about and kind of compare um, one film to another. And I got to thinking, you know, last year was sort of the year of the musical. And from the slate this year, it almost feels like this year is the year of the horror film. Uh, there are a lot of uh, buzzy horror films that have already been released and are up for release over the course of the next year. So uh, rather than choosing just one director, we decided to choose four directors. And these four directors, I would say, um, sort of represent what we might call the modern day tour. Um, who the, these filmmakers are making horror films that are kind of unlike anything that has come in the genre um, previously. And uh, I think that makes it really, really interesting. Uh, in addition, all four of these filmmakers will be releasing their third feature film uh, in 2022. And so I think that makes it even a more interesting conversation. Um, so we're going to take each one separately. Uh, as their films are kind of nicely spread out throughout the year to, to allow us to go back and watch their first two films and then watch their new film um, and, and have a discussion about what makes them a great filmmaker, what makes them great in the horror genre, even though a few of these films may not uh, technically be considered horror films. Um, it seems like that's sort of where these filmmakers are grounded. Uh, so I'm really, really excited for this. And the first filmmaker we are going to be taking a look at is Robert Eggers, uh, who he released his first film, The Witch, um, and The Witch was released in 2015, and just this past weekend uh, had the release of The Northman. So today we're going to talk about The Witch. Uh, the next episode we will be talking about his second film, The Lighthouse, and then we will finish off with a third episode talking about The Northman. Um, so let's kind of jump in here, Danny, um, and let, let's talk about Robert Eggers, The Witch. So before we get going into what we think about this movie, I thought it's worthwhile to give a little bit of a synopsis about it. Um, <clears throat> this is from the IMDb uh, synopsis. It is a family in 1630s New England is torn apart by the forces of witchcraft, black magic, and possession. Really pretty basic. Um, I'll fill in more than that it is about specifically a family who has been kind of 
somewhat forced to leave their established area where they'd grown up and lived because the uh, father was too proud to admit some wrongdoing. I actually can't even remember what that wrongdoing is because it kind of doesn't matter for the ultimate story. It's, it's just to know that he was proud and that's what got him to leave. And um, things quickly go wrong when their newborn son uh, evidently is disappears and uh, the, the only family member to have seen them last was the main sister played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Her character is Thomason. And this is a movie that I kind of want to start by talking about Anya Taylor-Joy. If I know that maybe sounds backwards to start with the acting, but this is really, I think, the first movie that put her out there. And uh, she's, I would make the case, like one of the top up and coming stars right now. And um, it's cool to kind of watch this now, having seen um, all of the stuff that has come out recently with her in it. And she proves her chops as an actor, I think, 100%. What do you think of Anya Taylor-Joy in this movie? Uh, she, I, I don't know how old she was, but I imagine she's pretty young. Um, yeah, so I the last time I had seen this was in 2015 in the theaters. Um, so I, I, I hadn't seen it since any of the newer stuff that she's been a, been a part of. Um, and yeah, I understand fully now in hindsight, why she was so buzzy after this, why they, they were talking about her being a star and why she got more work because she, she is very, very good in this. And it's a pretty layered role um, for somebody who at, at the time, I think probably when she made it was like 18 years old. But uh, I think when the movie came out, she was um, 19. Uh, so a young actress who really hadn't done anything up to this point uh, to put on such a kind of nuanced performance that has some little things that you may not really notice uh, the first time you watch it, um, mm -hmm. but kind of knowing where it would go <laughs> the second time I watched it, uh, I was able to pick up on some things that I think that were very you know, it's something that you would expect from a seasoned actor, but maybe not so much a newcomer. Yeah, um, I, I think that the other thing that makes her performance so interesting is you mentioned that the layeredness and that there's a lot of layered aspects of the writing in general in the movie. Um, and so she's a character who at times you are meant to be suspicious of her. At times you're meant to take her side and um, you need a good actor to be able to play that off. Uh, I think that, like you said, this is, I had, I'd only seen this once before. I don't remember it. I think I probably saw it in 2016 or something like that. And, uh, this is actually a movie that probably is better on a rewatch, uh, specifically, uh, it was better for me this time because I, I was watching it with subtitles and th this is like very American, but also like admittedly the, the the accents are very difficult to understand well, it's not only and the accents but the writing is the writing. not in modern day english yes. like it, it is very uh old-timey and um 
that makes it hard to understand just by hearing. Uh, and when you mix that with the accents, um, yeah, I think the first time around, I missed a lot. Uh, I didn't pick up on some things. Just, just a, a note on that, and this is something we'll talk about with further movies in our Robert Eggers series. Uh, he is a director who's already established himself. His reputation is one about really delving into the research of the time period that the movies take place in. And this movie being in the 1630s, it's not general 1600s New England. It is the 1630s yeah. that is setting this story in. And uh, there are, I'm sure, as, as much as budget could allow, very accurate clothing styles, very accurate uh, dialects as much as he could allow his actors to get to that point. And it's hard because you, you're dealing with half your cast being young actors. So you have to be able to, to get good performances that are that feel accurate and authentic to what he's going for. And I think the thing that is, you know, it, it, it's definitely folktale. It's not history that we're looking at, but there's a historical element that makes that uh, supernatural aspect of the story so much more sinister. And uh, that is where I think the horror comes from is because it is this blend of, well, this, this is kind of history in a way. We did really believe that there were witches. We're, we're using something that that is real in our history to be able to kind of expand on that and show what that's that supernatural nature was like and i think on that the the thing that i'll say and i'm curious to see what you think of this is this is a movie that i think interpretation matters a ton and uh that's what i i think is good about robert eggers and why people like him so much is it, it is he's not hand feeding you things and even what you see and what you experience during the film you question the reality of those things and uh that is a i think a very uh you know very advanced and impressive thing to do as a director in, in your first movie yeah absolutely i mean this is the the fact that this is a first feature is absolutely astounding because he nails just about everything um and you, you just don't get that i mean there's a lot of times where we take a look at films from first-time directors and we're like oh yeah that was great for a first-time director but this yeah. is great for any director uh no matter how experienced they are um you're right he 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 doesn't insult you as an audience member um but at the same time at times you're you're like am i kind of not picking up on some of this stuff uh because you don't quite know what's going on but that is by design and i think we can maybe get into that a little bit more in our next episode uh with the lighthouse because uh i think that's far more clear in that film and i think it says some things uh that uh, or it allows you to interpret the witch in maybe a slightly different way because you now know Robert Eggers as a director yes. um, and as a filmmaker in general, not just the director of the witch. Um, and, and the thing about 
So the, this film feels like a really good companion piece to the crucible, mm-hmm. um, kind of as a, uh, n- I mean, it's not the same sort of thing, but, uh, kind of giving a different angle of the idea of, uh, religion and the role that, uh, witch like witchcraft plays in, um, how they treat each other ultimately mm-hmm. and even within a singular family uh yeah. kind of driving a, a rift between some of the different family members and uh that in itself is sort of haunting right. um that this idea more than anything is creating problems for them yeah uh and the you talk about the rift of between the family members it's interesting how you know this is a a family all they have is each other but there's information that they're holding back from each other at different moments and i'll give one example of that being the fact that the father wants to not let the wife know that he sold her family's cup and that at, at one point point plays, and we'll probably get into some spoilers just because this is not a new movie. But that seven that years, come that on, ends, seven years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that ends up being critical in the sense that it it comes back to be important for Thomason, the Anya Taylor Joy character, and just just how much these characters are put pitted against each other. And I think that that's good writing uh, to add some tension to the story. But it also like maybe says something about just the nature of how people interact. I think that whereas Crucible, it's been a while since I've seen it or read it, but Crucible to me is so much more reflective about the way society works and the way that people end up treating each other. Whereas this, to me, the second, I mean, I didn't really catch it much the first time because I was just trying to make sense of it, but this is so much about religion. Like it is. I mean, I think religion is kind of the bullseye of the, what this movie is about to me. I mean, it's definitely about people and their the way that they face consequences for decisions they make. But man, it, it really feels like it is dialing into talking about religion. What do you think? Um, yeah, that's religion? that's exactly how I felt too. But uh, the crucible, the crucible does that quite a bit as well, and I think that's part of why I tie it into this, this so much, is because it is ultimately this fear of religion that uh, kind of divides people, and mm-hmm. the the fear of what will happen to you if you don't abide by these rules, and. The reason that the family was kicked out of their town was because they, the the father had um, essentially he had sinned, and so he was no longer worthy to be a part of their community. Um, so it shows just the importance of religion and how absolutely strict this uh, these people are. Um, and I don't think it's just this family. This is just a representation of a lot of the people during this time period of um, constantly having to hide things because they know it's sinful, but it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't fit into their morals. And so, I mean, every single person in this film is sinful. 
-hmm. Every single person has some sort of sin, but they don't want to admit that. And instead of admitting to it, they are pointing the finger at somebody else, which then creates much bigger problems. Well, and I want to clarify this because I'm curious to know what you think is I'm pretty clear about everybody's sin in the story, except for Thomason. I don't know that she, I think in some ways she is the one that has sinned the least. And she's also the one at the beginning when they move out of the town, she like forgives or she, she asks for forgiveness. She prays as soon as they get there. So it's like, she's the one that seems to be the most, most out. Yeah. Devout in a lot of ways. And then she, she ends up being kind of the, the chosen person. Um, it, this is a, a great movie because, and we'll talk about this probably throughout our entire series because I think horror is a genre that calls back to other horror movies a lot. And the this makes good use of kids being really creepy. And the specifically the twins in this are a great set of characters for the story because they add something something unnatural about twins I think uh, and I, I say that jokingly but I think that the way that they have their they seem to be of one mind often and that is eerie in a way and um, the twins in this are definitely creepy and I'm curious do you believe that they were always in on this uh, with with black philip the the goat or were you uh do you believe that they were possessed or brought in later or that they weren't at all i'm curious um i honestly am not sure and i think that's the way that it's supposed to be is that uh we're we're kind of just a it's almost like we're dropped into this environment as well and we aren't really sure who to believe and especially when you're dealing with children who have a tendency to not be truthful and they're imaginative and uh they they can create some issues however i think there are some clues that at least lead us to believe that for sure they have had interactions with Black Philip and Black Philip has talked to them because uh, we later see that Black Philip can talk. Yes. Um, and uh, therefore, um, it'd be weird if they're making that up. Yes. Uh, so, it, whether they're present, actually possessed by Black Philip or um, they, kind of just are, you know, they're being children who happen to be talking to a goat. Uh, I, it, I don't know that it really matters entirely. Um, it, it's creepy all the way around. Um, well, and that, that is, introduces another aspect of this is that we, we never actually, we see the Thomason character have a conversation with what seems to be Black Philip the goat. But for all we know, it, it we could explain it in a realistic way. It could be some guy that comes in there, you know, because they don't change the camera angle or anything like that. Um, and it, like, there there is an aspect of this movie that is very realistic. There's the end scene <clears throat> where the witches begin to, like, 
levitate that is is the only visual thing that's supernatural that's supernatural maybe there's one other thing uh with the boy in the forest but other than that i think that's about the only thing and um again i think that that is really cool to see a layered story you know you could almost make the argument that these witches were taking like psychedelic mushrooms or something and that is what yeah you know I think there's certainly an interpretation that what we see at the very end of this movie didn't actually happen. Um, and it's all just potentially uh, part of, part of Thomason's imagination. Um, right. Cause really we just, we just don't entirely know. Uh, right. But that's part of, I think the charm of this movie is that it, it constantly keeps you thinking. Mm-hmm. um one thing i do want to since we're kind of in talking about the horror aspects of this um something that i want to be sure to look at these films through is the scope that i discovered by are from uh stephen king who i think most people would consider to be one of the kind of fathers of horror um he he describes horror on three different levels and the very basic first level is kind of the gore gross out phase, our, our level where we see a lot of things and the, the whole purpose of it is to kind of gross us out or freak us out by making us want to like kind of uh, not, not yeah. yeah. Um, the second level is actually called the horror level. And this is a level where the filmmaker shows us something that's kind of fantastical, um, something that isn't grounded in realism, um, but is shocking and therefore kind of scares us. But he, the, the filmmaker, he or she actually shows us this. And then the last level, the third level, is the level of terror. And this is the most difficult level for a filmmaker to achieve and do it successfully. And it's because they use the audience's imagination to scare them. They don't actually show, but they build up that suspense or kind of build the environment to make the audience imagine what they uh, are seeing. And he says that there are elements of all of these in a lot of different horror movies, but in order to try to really reach that highest level, you have to be able to, to kind of use that audience's imagination. And I think Robert Eggers does a very good job of reaching that level mm-hmm. because so much of what makes this movie scary is a horror movie is what you don't know and what you imagine is there. Um, And even though I think there are some images that are a little bit more fantastical and you could even say there's a few kind of gross out moments, um, he mostly relies on that element of terror. Yeah, I I mean, when you're I just wrote down all three because I wanted to kind of come back to them. This will be good for us to maybe like continue to talk about with each movie. But in terms of I I think a scene that maybe melds those really well together is the scene right after the baby is taken by the witch we get this is maybe i think the only sequence where it's not focused on a member of the family um and unless you include the baby in this case yeah. you you see the baby but then suddenly there's a cutaway 
and the baby's not there anymore and all you see is like this witch grinding something into like a pedest uh what do they call those mortal uh, yeah what do you what do you call them a uh, mortar and pestle yeah mortal mortar and pestle and like it's insinuated what happens there's the terror right there like yeah. you you make the connection in your head and from there there's an element of gore that's happening there and then the fantastical element i think she ends up like writing a broomstick right after that and like so we see all three of those things and that's i think the first the first real moment of horror that hooks you in the movie in order to get you kind of like on this story's narrative to know this is where we're headed this whole time um so yeah that's that's a really interesting way to to think about it yeah i think it, i think moving forward this will be a really good scope to uh just show i think how um much of an expert all of these filmmakers are as horror directors even though they're still relatively new um but i also think that uh just thinking about the films that i have seen from all of these directors and in particular this film uh, this kind of modern take on the horror genre, uh, it does rely heavily on um, your ability as an audience member to uh, engage with what you are seeing on a maybe higher, more intellectual level mm -hmm. um, than some of the kind of more pop horror movies that are all about just grossing you out. Uh, and in going for like the slasher type type horror yeah. so uh yeah i think i think i'm more attracted to that as a film lover and i i really like the horror genre um it's not something that over time i have watched a ton in um mainly because it's not the favorite of some other with of other people and so getting people to sit down and watch a horror movie isn't always the easiest thing to do um yeah. so uh, i i I am excited about continuing to explore kind of the idea of horror and what horror is and how it can change from movie to movie. And I think that there are probably a lot of people that watch The Witch and say, that is not a horror movie mm -hmm. um, because there aren't uh, the classic elements of horror. And in fact, when I saw it the first time, that was sort of me. Um, I went, when the first time I saw this movie, I ended up giving it a seven out of 10. Uh, after a rewatch and um, being able to kind of know more what's going on with subtitles, uh, I actually bumped that up to a nine out of 10. I think yeah. this is a nearly perfect uh, crafted horror, horror film that relies heavily on great performances um i know we haven't really talked about many of the other performances yet so we can talk about that um but it, it the the writing here is just so good and i think uh, we've talked about this in the past that so many of the best filmmakers are also writing their own scripts mm -hmm. and so the delivery of that script from a visual standpoint from from robert eggers um he just nails it uh yeah. and and yeah i i think this is a fantastic film yeah i don't remember what i got gave it the first time but i i give it an eight it's probably a pretty high eight for me um i i think that the the production of it 
is not of the level that we will see moving forward with him. Um, so there's my, my tease for the lighthouse and uh, the Northmen, but uh, I think that he is able to accomplish a lot with what he has. I mean, this, this movie, I, I don't know what the budget was, but I imagine it was not $4 million. Yeah. Like that is in opening weekend, it made 8 million. So it doubled it its money, which is sweet. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that is, uh, that is very impressive that he was able to take something that's relatively pretty simple. And like, I think that a lot of what makes this a really efficient movie, I know that's not an exciting word to use for a movie, but it's efficient in the sense that it builds suspense so well by using not setting up a bunch of different shots. It's pretty uh, selective with the shots it has. It lingers on those people during those shots. There's a lot of times where we're focused on one character in a scene and we don't really see the other side. Um, and it's hard to block scenes with multiple people in it. And uh, so I, I think that they did or that Robert Eggers did a really good job just blocking this um, and also avoiding the desire to cut too much. And I don't mean like cut things out. I mean, cut between shots. It's yeah. just, that is the, the pacing of it feels slow, but it's good for the intensity that needs to come. Well, yeah. And I think that you have to trust that your actors can uh, hold the attention of the camera and the audience for that length of time and for a cast of entirely unknown actors uh, when this film came out like these are not household name actors no. um but they are all very very excellent uh ralph Ennison, the the father i think is a fantastic that actor who because he has this low voice probably is never going to get a bunch of roles uh he did play the green knight in in the green knight which i that was really good casting um because yeah. it kind of fits that uh kate dickey is kind of a scary looking uh woman and that's part of why uh, i think this character really works um but she does a fantastic job kind of this eccentric uh person who's losing their mind grieving the, 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 the entire movie almost. yeah well i mean and, and it gets it gets worse like she's it, she grieves almost the entire movie but she becomes more and more insane as the movie goes on and uh in watching her kind of fall into this insanity and then this Har harvey scrimshaw um he's the boy who plays the brother um caleb mm -hmm. uh there's a possession type scene and like it the first uh, the first time it didn't i don't know that it, I, I didn't remember it being so impactful uh but it is haunting uh and the the way that he plays this scene is so good and like i think i think maybe part of what draws me to it is growing up catholic and spending probably an unhealthy amount of time thinking about possession and uh watching exorcism movies and stuff like that um like that it's just creepy it's just so yeah. creepy and like his final moments 
in, uh, in this scene or in this movie um, are, I think, really, really good acting for a child actor. Well, it's really good acting. And I think also maybe I don't you might think this is really crazy, but for some reason he reminds me of pictures, young pictures of Mark. Oh, I, maybe. I mean, maybe, I can see. I can see it. Yeah, our brother Mark, and uh, I think that uh, that to me is another reason why, like, I it impacted me. But really, that this is a character who is, you know, he he has a sin like any other every other character in the movie. But like, it's not because of some. You know, like his his sin is natural in a lot of ways. You know, like it's the sexual desire, right? And, yeah. And it's only because he's a boy growing up that he has this yep. desire, and that is what is the the witch kind of takes advantage of with him. Um, and so to see him be kind of this noble brother who's trying to do the right thing, you know, and then like go into this possession and again the way that possession is shot the way that they're all crowded around him he look there's there's a lot of like I, I would say symbolism of Christ in this movie but particularly in that scene because he has his arms out and yeah it's it is uh that scene is very impactful uh just on the note of symbolism of Christ I could I didn't notice this at all the first time but the there's a sequence where she thomason is has to wash her father's clothes or something so all he's wearing is just like a white like robe around his waist and he just looks like jesus chopping wood like and so i'm like i i it's those sorts of things that are really interesting about the movie that i don't know if i fully know what they mean right now but it is clearly that he is supposed to emulate some christ-like figure whether it's him trying to be that way trying to be christ-like and can't because of the the things that challenge him or that um the this is just supposed to show the way that uh that the devil is tempting christ you know i i just think that that's a interesting angle that this movie presents yeah um i i I think honestly, movies that kind of put some things out there that you can't quite wrap your head around, uh, and you probably never will be able to wrap your mind around uh, the meaning of it because it's not meant to be wrapped around these sorts of things. I think that makes a film more interesting and kind of allows you to keep going back and wanting to get something more from it. Um, this is the sort of movie, the first time I saw it, I'm like, I don't know if I'd want to rewatch it that much. Um, but now that I've seen it a second time, I kind of want to watch it again uh, and try to pick up on even more aspects of it. Um, cause it, cause it is, it's just good, good filmmaking. And uh, I think he packs so much stuff in there. I don't, honestly i believe um that he doesn't really waste any shots everything is very purposeful and uh there's a reason for why he is portraying it in the way that he is portraying it whether or not we're ever going to know what that reason is is an entirely different question but uh i think that's what makes him such an interesting filmmaker Mm -hmm. i i I would agree with everything that you said and especially on the note that I don't think that much is wasted in this movie. 
um, there's there's a lot of shots that linger on just a look that an animal gives you. And there's a lot of animals in this movie. And they're, they, he, he, this sounds crazy, but there's gotta be such a thing as animal casting, casting the right look of an animal for a movie. I mean, there's like a jackrabbit that just looks terrifying. I'm curious if the jackrabbit's real or not. I don't know, but it looked pretty real. It does. It looks a lot. Re- it looks a lot more real than other movies that I've seen. They have far higher budget, so yeah. I imagine it is. And then, and then, the the black Philip goat. There's a sequence where it's just kind of breathing and looking at yeah. Thomason, and you know you can't get animals to act, but well, it's also kind. Of, it gets kind of wild. At that times, it's like kind of wild too. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I'm interested particularly with him, the role that animals play in his story and how animals kind of have a connection to some higher being or some mythos or some something that humans don't connect with in a way. And that to me is really fascinating. You could probably do a whole study on the role of animals in, in Robert Edgar's movies. Yeah, I'm, I I presume we'll continue to talk about that definitely in the next uh, episode, um, and then potentially even beyond that. But um, what else do we want to talk about for this this film? I I think the music is very good. Uh, horror in a horror film, music plays such an important part in tone and the way that you feel um, in terms of fear and uh, a good score um really really makes a difference and so i do i do think that the the score here uh does its job quite well um i think i think the sounds of the film too are pretty good uh mm-hmm. and even though you say that this is probably maybe not on the same level as his next two films in terms of production. Uh, the cinematography is pretty good. Uh, he uses the same cinematographer for all three films. So it's kind of fun to even see uh, the way in which the cinematographer, which I presume that Eggers has a huge uh, role in the way that the films are shot, but as they've kind of grown together and um, as their production budget goes up, also what they can do and what they can capture. Um, but yeah, the, the way in which this, this film is shot uh, is it's done quite well because there are a lot of dark scenes mm-hmm. um, and being able to capture a dark scene is an art. Because uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen a lot of movies that don't do a great job of capturing uh, more dark dark scenes where it's hard to see what's going on and in this I never really felt that way and if there it was hard to see what was going on it was because it was purposeful and not just because it wasn't well lit enough yeah and I I think that sometimes movies that are really dark it that is a criticism I think more we see now because of how much people can watch stuff at home you know and it's it's really just a a a case that the movie probably wasn't made to be watched on a TV in a well-lit room that has a low resolution, you know? Um, And so I don't really blame movies when they're dark. And actually, 
I didn't have that much of a problem with this one uh, as opposed to some movies that are really dark. But yeah, that, that is a unique challenge and especially because it is an early movie. It, I mean, like, it is crazy. That this is, I know we've mentioned this, but this is a first movie and like, he does not seem to have any like major, like actual visual issues with the way the movie was shot. And it looks, I would just say in terms of, the cinematography it looks perfectly laid out you know yep absolutely um i i kind of want to compare this to a first film that came out last year pig uh and i think the cinematography in pig is quite good but there are scenes that the darkness is not quite right mm. um and and uh I, yes well, I think that's a really good case to make yeah there's uh there you're willing to forgive it because they're far and few between. Um, but it is something that I noticed, especially when you compare it to other movies that uh, yeah. do a very good job of cap capturing darkness. And um, this, this is just a really good example of being able to capture some dark scenes and kind of play with dark in a way that uh, is captivating and uh, doesn't take away from what is happening on the screen. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've kind of been talking about this, but we've alluded to it several times, but I think a question that we should try to answer, is, at least with all of these movies, is what, what is the relationship this movie has to the horror genre? Is it, after we've watched it this second time, do we feel like it is a horror movie do we think it's something else and uh if it is how does it expand the genre how does it push the genre into to new areas do you have any thoughts on that or do you want me to try to answer that first or what do you think i think it's absolutely a horror film um and uh, i i th think i said this earlier that I think it is a horror film for people that are willing to be patient and uh, engage with a well thought out story and good dialogue um, that and and visuals that aren't necessarily um, horror esque, but uh, when you when you give yourself to it. When you give yourself to the experience, that is when you truly uh, experience the horror of the film. Um, and, and so I almost want to say that this is a horror, it's like a sect of the horror genre for pretentious people. <laughs> um, <laughs> because because it, I, I will be completely honest, this is not something that is going to play to uh, the average horror movie fan. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it, to me, it certainly fits within the genre. And I think that it shows that horror can be something more than uh, the Friday the 13th movies and those types of movies. Um, or like the, the, all these uh, franchise type Mm -hmm. um horror flicks that are all kind of made within the same vein and that you can still tell a horror story that is original 
um, and doesn't keep going back to the same tropes, which often is the case with the horror genre. Right. So you mentioned a couple things. Like one thing you said earlier with was like those kind of classic things you expect with a horror movie. The jump scare has kind of been, I think, used to the point of kind of it doesn't have an effect on people really anymore it is there for kind of the cheap thrills of watching the movie and this well, is not a movie that i think uses jump scares no, really at all it. and so I if, mean, you, some- if you i was gonna say just i'm gonna step in real quick and then i'll let you continue but uh if you i think a lot of people judge horror movies based upon the jump scares and if mm-hmm. if they don't have the jump scares uh then it's not a good horror movie um and that i think is kind of a problematic definition of horror especially when people watch a lot of horror movies because you expect it and the jump scores scares work when you don't expect it and part of what i think this movie does well is you expect to have those those jump scares and they're not there yeah well and that that feels to me like a response to what horror movies have done for years and years and i think that more and more modern horror movies are moving away from i mean they'll still give jump scares but a lot of times they'll they'll purposely reel you in to think that there's going to be a jump scare you know this movie doesn't quite go that far but there there are times where they you, you suspect it's there i would say another thing that you know, most horror, because there's tons of horror movies that come out all the time, you know, and a lot of times the basic premise is, is in present day, there's some, whether that's mythical, uh, whether that's some like serial killer aspect, whether that's uh, a demonic thing uh, that, that threatens a group of people, usually it's young people, okay? Um, and that seems to be kind of what seems to be the mainstream. And what I think this adds to it is really emphasizing that historical element and using that as the setting and not just the setting, but that is a character for this story because it's the reason why we're focused on witches. It's the yep. uh, environment that allows for for witches to have stolen a baby, you know, the fact that they don't have the walls. I mean, there's a reason why they spent time on those those city walls at the beginning of the movie as they leave. It's because they are not protected by what is out in the wilderness anymore. And they are fending for themselves. Uh, They do not have the like societal uh, benefit of people watching each other's backs. They have to watch their own backs. And that is, all of those things are so critical to getting us to, to experience the horror and empathize with these characters that are in these, these places. So what I would say is this, you, you say it's like a horror genre for the pretentious people, which I do not deny that that's there, but I think also it has, it's like historical horror. And I don't know if I know a whole lot of other movies that would fall under that category. I think that's a kind of a new era, the area that you could, uh, could kind of look at and it, it's what makes him a particularly interesting uh, director and storyteller is because he's completely focused on on uh, histor- history as a way to tell these 
unusual and new stories. So yeah, it, it's, I think, I think that um, it's kind of a bummer in some ways that like, we only are going to be talking about three of his movies because he's an exciting storyteller and it, it, he's fun to talk about. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to being able to uh, expand on this with our next episode, um, the lighthouse, uh, because I think it definitely adds some aspects to uh, the horror genre that we haven't already talked about with this film. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless you have anything else that you want to want to say about this, uh, I think now would be a good time to wrap this up. Um, th- this is a film that you can catch on Showtime. Uh, it is part of the Showtime uh, catalog. So uh, if you have not seen it yet, I know we spoiled uh, quite a bit, but uh, it is still definitely worth going to see. Um, And we, I mean, the fact that I have already seen it and I enjoyed it more the second time around, I think that that maybe even the fact that we have talked about it kind of helps set the scene a little bit more and you have a better idea of what's going on. But I I highly recommend it if you're willing to kind of be a little bit patient and give yourself to the film. Um, This isn't something you want to watch passively uh, like you probably could for a lot of other horror films. Um, But yeah, check that out. I also recommend checking out The Crucible because The Crucible, uh, I think, like I said, is a nice companion piece. It's not a horror movie. Um, I guess it could be classified as a horror movie in a way. Um, But uh, I think that they both kind of have some interesting things to say about the time period in the way that religion can drive a wedge between people, um, whether or not these fears are real or or not uh who knows but uh that's that is uh kind of the the theme of what's going on here in both these these stories absolutely so until next time have a great week see you later Thank you.